What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or crust and sugar over like syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. That opening was, of course, the famous poem Harlem by Langston Hughes. Mm -hmm. Um, You guys will find out why it was more than appropriate this week as we go along. But this topic is not something that I can offer a perspective on or should, frankly. (laughs) So so, um, we held off on the fiction this week in favor of um, someone who spoke a little more to the topic. Okay. But it'll be back. Don't worry. But we are back this week with some brand new material. Um, last week was really fun revisiting. It was really fun. Yeah. That wild old timey case. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to doing yours oh, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because you had a really good one. Yeah. At that Campfire Story event yeah. too. So um, that'll come after the rest of our um, Pride stuff because it is the first uh, of our Pride cases this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I figured we'd do a little series this year because why not give it the whole month if you can? Right. Or most of it, I should say. I don't love only talking about horrible things that happen to people in the LGBTQ plus community for the whole month of June, but Pride did start out as a protest and it's important to tell these stories and to do it loudly because that's the only way the change can be made, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to try to get some more positive facts and tidbits and put them up in um, videos and TikToks for you guys because I really do feel the strong need for balance. Right. Um, So we'll see what we can do with that. Um, And maybe I'll call on some of our friends to help add. Great. Which would be really fun. Yeah. Okay. So also, if you are honestly and truly listening to this and you're unfamiliar with the origins of pride, that's okay. It is not in all history books. It should be, but it's not. But don't worry. I do have a little roundup for you guys later on in this episode that will explain it. And the events that I summarize, we will in the future cover in full. But like... We, we can't do that today. So we'll just right, give you a little enough. intro, right? Yeah. <laughs> Today's case also takes place in New Jersey. Oh. I know. So obviously it's going to get hit home a little bit extra for us and make it a little more difficult to sleep at night. Yeah. When you're reading about horrible things that happen kind mm-hmm. of under your own roof, so yeah. to speak. And sleepless nights add up real fast. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, bam. Wrinkles all over your face. Oh, my God. I am, like, not sleeping at all. Under eye circles. Puffiness. Mm -hmm. We have Mm -hmm. it all. Carpal tunnel. That I do have. Yeah. Look at me. I'm a mess. Me too, girl. Oh, my God. We're just big messes. (laughs) Oh, boy. And I've explored all possible options to get rid of these wrinkles and dark circles and stuff. And I know Leslie has, too. Mm -hmm. But uh, the trouble sleeping is here to stay, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And according to my copious research, because if nothing else, I am a thorough researcher. Yeah. There is one thing and one thing only that can counteract the inevitable march of time and stress across our foreheads. Oh, yes. Do you want to know what that is? Oh, I want to sing about it. Let's tell them. It's a healthy dose of validation, a hill worth dying on. Yes. And best of all, Leslie, our fiends can give us this priceless ingredient free of charge. Oh, fuck yeah. It's free to them. That's amazing. It is amazing. How? How can they do this? But how, you must be asking yourself. I really am. I see that. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you. Don't worry. Okay. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention, attention equals support, and support equals more and better content for you. But if you just cannot wait, just can't wait. Yeah, I understand that. It's hard. For more we would be dead in your life, don't worry. You don't have to. Okay. We wouldn't do that to you. You can support us over on Patreon. There, for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, which we are talking about bringing back and doing some more of. We were actually just talking about we that. We were, yeah. So, who knows? Maybe that'll come up. Yeah. You never know. There are also some special mini-sodes, our weekly after-show host, Mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are okay. Yeah. But our faces, they're not too shabby, even though they're wrinkled and tired. Yeah. You'll, yeah. You might like want to see what that looks like. You might be curious, morbidly curious. I think we all are a little yeah. bit. So <laughs> you will also, as a patron, get a special gift in the mail from us. You'll get the opportunity to participate in some giveaways, some merch deals. You'll get an on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons. So come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. It's nice over here. It really is. And cozy. it is cozy. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. Mm, that one gets me all tingly. It's the nicest. <laughs> you can leave us a comment, post about your favorite episode. Let us know when you're listening. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell your lesbian neighbors because they are clearly like the best friends to have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're the most consistent, the most helpful. Befriend them. What are their names? They're like a nice young couple. Donna and Joy. Donna and Joy. And they're great. And you should tell them. Yeah. Yeah. They're like just gems of our little neighborhood. Yeah. There's nothing else to say. Don came over and helped me like put some oil in my car. Perfect. Uh, taught me how to change a tire. That was great. And then Joy and I went to go get... Baked like, a cake, helped organize yeah, a party, did yeah. all those things while we were like, I, I don't know mm-hmm. what to do. So then Donna and Joy can become fiends and we can all hang out together. I love it. Yeah. They're so fun. They are fun. That's great. So I think that might be all that I have in the way of announcements for this week. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Mm, we still have. We would be proud stickers yes, yes. that are on our Buy Me a Coffee website. Perfect. You can go there and donate $10 to the Trevor Project and then I will send you, we will send you mm-hmm. a cute little sticker that was designed by our littlest fiend um, to raise money for the Trevor Project. And then at the end of this month, we're going to donate that money to the Trevor Project. 
Um, so what's our tally so far? Um, we are at, we're still, I think just about four, I think we're, we're at 400 right now, which is just incredible. So I think by the end of pride month, I'd like to get to 500. Yeah, that would be great. That's just 10 ish Mm -hmm. more people. And we will have raised $500 to donate to the Trevor Project, yes. which is massive. Mm-hmm. For a little operation like us, that's pretty great. Absolutely. And we will continue to have these stickers for of the rest course. of the year. Um, maybe we'll do a different design for next year. Mm-hmm. But Violet knows um, how to draw more things. Yeah. So we'll we'll continue to have them available on the site. But yeah, at least um, I really would love to write them a check for the end of the month. Yeah, me too. Me too. So. Yeah. And um, there are some other patron gifts coming out this month as well. So um, some of our best beans forever. Look out for some things coming. Uh, You will get them by the end of the month also. Do you want to tease us with what kind of things they might get? So other people might be super jealous and want to So some of our best beans have been members with us for a long time. Yes. So a few that have been, not a few, a good amount actually. We love you. Been with us for over nine months are going to get some items coming. Um, some of these are like long overdue because we've had some that have been with us for two years, but I decided we need to start saying and more thank I yous. I love that. I absolutely love that. And then uh, a few of our members that have also uh, supported us above a certain dollar amount mm-hmm. um, are getting even bigger gifts. Ooh, so what, sort of, what sort of gifts? A nice little t-shirt that has a fun <gasps> saying that only they will get to wear. I love that. Yeah. I can't wait until people get it and take pictures of it and everybody's mm-hmm. super jealous. So, yes. yeah, you guys are getting some cool stuff. And if you want to get cool stuff, you should be a patron. Yeah. Anything else? That was a good announcement. Um, no. All right, then. On with the show. So just in case you guys haven't read the title, this week we are covering the murder of 15-year-old Sakia Gunn. And I would like to thank our wonderful fiend Ariel for suggesting this case to us. I'm ashamed to say that I had never heard Sakia's story before Ariel suggested we cover it, which is absolutely bonkers considering I was a full adult whose main residence was in New Jersey at the time. But I was living in Philly because I was going to college and I rarely consumed any news media. So I'm trying not to judge myself too harshly. Mm, Okay. And I've never heard of it because I never hear of any of these cases. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) So this crime also, fiends, is a hate crime. We're going to make no mistake about that from minute one. That is what it is, what it was, and what it always shall be. Sakia Gunn was murdered because she was a masculine presenting lesbian. It's more than likely that you haven't heard of Sakia's story before, even though her name is often spoken in the same sentence as Matthew Shepard's, because she was Black. Ariel originally suggested we cover this case for Black History Month, and that was a good suggestion. However, after reading just one paragraph about Sakia and her story, it became painfully obvious to me that her murder had nothing to do with her being Black and everything to do with her being a lesbian. And so I thought it best that we tell this story in our Pride Month series. This case has been so unique to cover because there was never any mystery about it. This is not a whodunit. It's not a like, I lay out the crime scene and then we go and figure out what happened. Everything happened in public, in the open. There were witnesses and it was there. And yet there is still so much to unpack. Mm. 
which is why I find it unusual. I have to preface this also with a couple statements. The first is that Sakia and her story have a tendency to be misrepresented in some headlines and some lesser researched media. Though she did dress in men's clothing and exhibit traditionally masculine behavior and affectations and date very feminine women, Sakia was not a trans man, as some articles on her claim. There's a lot of misrepresentation that she was trans. Okay. And people referring to her as a boy. She looks like what would be a traditionally presenting boy, but she identified as a, quote, aggressive lesbian. No, that is not me being rude. It feels rude, right? Doesn't that feel rude? <laughs> Ooh. But that is the term that she and her whole community used to describe themselves. There are reasons for it. And at this point, it is dated. Okay. I'm guessing because the word aggressive doesn't have awesome connotations all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel aggressively straight. So, like, I aggressively love men. <laughs> I see that. But if you said, I'm an aggressive straight no, person, I'm... people would be like, run for run. your life. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> She's going to shoot some people. Like, the title doesn't necessarily reflect the person accurately. Let's yeah. put it that way. I guess if anything, it just, for me, it means that I, like, know who I am. As uh, Yeah, as do I. And that but, feels great. Right. But that's not even why this term was used. Okay. But then also, like, I just I just hear it and I'm like, oh, she was aggressive. Oh, no. That's not what they mean. I'm yeah. going to explain it a little bit because okay. I feel that it's important to do so. You may be tempted in this situation to maybe apply the word butch to okay. Sakia. That term is also dated, but it's used in a similar manner. But that is actually too inclusive. And in this instance, that's actually not a good thing because mm. the term we're looking for specifically applies to masculine presenting Black lesbians important that we do include race in this because they are their own culture and community in this instance. And, and to be clear, a lot of these terms started off as derogatory insults and then were turned around. Okay. Right? So you may not, uh, uh, us as straight women may not want to apply the word butch because we'd feel like, is that insulting you or something? But when, mm -hmm. when it's among themselves, it's a little different. Fine. In the 20s and 30s, the word was bull dagger, which I thought was very interesting. It's a term that was also originally pejorative, but the community decided to own it, which is awesome. Um, and owning this term is a great power play, but it also doesn't erase the fact that it has the same root as bullshit. Okay. Which is interesting and something I didn't know. And that's a phrase we still use today. We use it for something that is patently false. Something is a lie. We call it bull, right? Yeah. I think we all also, we're not allowed to say shit. <laughs> if we if we want to friendly eyes it, we say that's bull. Yeah. Right. Meaning that's fake. Yeah. And I think we all know what a dagger might symbolically refer to in this case. You know, stabby, stabby. Oh, right. I was making sure I wasn't missing. Something. No, you're not <laughs> okay. missing anything. And it's not great to be known as false dicks, essentially. Yeah. Bull dagger meant fake penis. Oh, okay. okay. Which I think was pretty interesting, which is also where the term dyke came from. Mm. I know. Also not nice, but a popular turn of phrase um, both before and after bull dagger came into play. So we have all these words that are used for the same mm. group of people. None of them are very nice. Yeah, I know. But and like, but like dagger is such a cool word. It is a cool word. And and that adapting that word, I was kind of like, oh, I don't I don't blame you for owning it, being like yeah. bull dagger. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Dagger. I know. It's like. I don't know. 
kind of sexy. I like it. I do too. Okay. But I don't like its origins. No. But adapting language to be an accurate descriptor is understandable and it happens all the time. Aggressive or AG, as it is most commonly abbreviated, seems to have come into play in the early 90s. Women to whom this term applied saw the women who came before them adopt masculine behavior in totality. They took the good and the bad, which meant at the time that they had no problems with physical altercations. Sometimes they would even veer into the misogynistic to fit in with the men in their community. So aggressive meant that they would fight. They were women who, if put in the position where they were insulted or Mm -hmm. a man would start a physical altercation, so would they. Could this also be, so for instance, Mm -hmm. I know that we don't say, we're urged not to like call a little girl or something like a tomboy. Yeah. But whereas I love that term. Right. But so it's like one of those terms where I'm like, is that bad to say? But also like, that's what I felt like. Sure. And that term is often lumped in the articles that I am quoting right now. Okay. Okay. So. Because I could see that where I always felt very comfortable with my guy friends. Mm -hmm. Like I felt it was easier to be friends with guys. Sure. Though I am a straight woman. But I would also probably want to like, like to prove myself. I'd want to fight or probably at the time talk more misogynistically. Until I like kind of grew up yeah. and was like, no, wait, this is how I can sure, that speak is, better. That is definitely similar. <laughs> and that makes me interested in the origins of the word uh, tomboy. Yeah. Because I wonder if it's a similar false boy situation. Like it means like a boy that isn't a boy. I wonder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's something we can look up. I will absolutely look it up later. I yeah. have no choice. Now it's in my head. <laughs> um, and I'll let you guys know. But the term aggressive hung around for a little while before it morphed yet again into the word more commonly used today, which is stud. Oh. Better, right? Okay. Yep. That's the best of the lot. So women who identify under this term also, like, they have their shit together. hmm In the articles I read on this terminology, which are vast, lots and lots, because I did not want to get it wrong. They often link the Instagram accounts to people who famously have this or fit this type. They are, they, they have their appearance together. They are well appointed. These ladies are in spotless sneakers, clean, pressed, crisp shirts and pants, sometimes beautiful suits and shoes. Their hair will be immaculate. Their accessories are on point. They smell good. They have perfect manners and a string of compliments so precise and dizzying that those uh, non-faux dicks in their grease-stained khakis and graphic tees across the bar might stop looking like the best possible option at the end of the night. Ooh. Yeah. So they... They clean up next. They do. No bull <laughs> detected. Just right. saying. So these are good-looking individuals, which is sometimes part of the mythology around them, that they are people who will, like, steal your girl. Right. <laughs> that they're they're out to turn straight women. Right. <laughs> that is not always the goal. There are a few women spoken about in these articles that did kind of do that at times for sport, which mm-hmm. they could because they're hot. Like, they look great. I yeah. can see it. Like, I understand. And there is a part of one article that's like, a lot of the women in Newark, when seeing their uh, alternatives, just kind of chose to ignore that they weren't dudes. Right. So, anyway. I just think we're all sexual beings. So sure. it's just like, we just want to, if we find somebody attractive, 
Yeah. Whatever the sex. Especially if they're kind and polite and complimentary yeah. and their game is a thousand times better than the like dumpy dude over at the across the bar. Like yeah. you're going to be like, okay, I see. I see what you're selling mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> like, But even even if it's just the idea of the other side, like the turning someone yeah. Like, I'm not saying that that is what no, these people are out no, to do but at just all. The, but just the idea mm-hmm. is is equivalent to just kind of either going out of your league yep. or like whatever that, you know, what, what we kind right. of know. This, means, this but, concept is what um, spurs some of the, that, the aggression against them right? from men in their community mm-hmm. who are like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to come out here on our territory and like take our beautiful women. You're not. A man, which is like a terrible yeah. thing to say, but like it's important to include that of in course. this people are just discussion. So people are terrible time. and scared. And listen, like <laughs> if you're scared of them, get the fuck on their level. I know. Stop being lazy. No. They're doing the fucking thing. You are like sitting there being like, but I have a dick. Yeah, that should be enough. More and more, people don't care. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> just saying. Four plays where it's at. You know? The second thing I have to say before we start the story proper is that I know this technically is not my story to tell. I know that. I am not queer. I am not black. I do not live in a small, depressed, culturally specific segment of Newark. None of this is my experience. I am covered in privilege and typical as shit. I can only come at this academically and with compassion. Mm -hmm. Now, to some, that may mean that I shouldn't be telling the story at all. And maybe not. I don't really know the rules anymore but I'm going to do it anyway. And here's why. People need to hear this story. And I don't think it matters where it comes from. More coverage, more is more. More voices are louder and more outrage can more quickly become action. I may not have any shared experiences here, but I'm a mother. I have a daughter and I can tell you that I would untether the moon if I had to, to protect her. I will be accurate and kind. So I may not understand, but I empathize. And while that surely isn't perfect, it's a pretty honest effort. So here we go. Sakia Latona Gunn was born on May 26, 1987 in Newark, New Jersey to her mother, then 17-year-old Latona. So she's very young when she gives birth to her. And her father, who is rarely mentioned and does not appear to have been in the picture much at all. And considering that his name is rarely mentioned, I took that as a cue that we didn't need to put it in here. Okay. So. So we have a father no name. (laughs) We do. Well, I mean, his name is mentioned in like one or two articles, but it really isn't widely spoken. So I assume he he just doesn't want it to be and that he wasn't there. Okay. So unfortunately, in Sakia's early childhood, Latona fell on hard times and ended up homeless, which is not super uncommon for young mothers in a poverty-stricken area. It's hard to make money and get by. Because this would cause Latona to lose custody of little Sakia, because you can't be homeless and keep your kid. You have to have a home to keep your kid. Her legal guardianship was transferred to Latona's mother, which would be Sakia's grandmother, Thelma. Now, I don't know exactly how this event happened. It's just stated that it did. In several versions of the story, Latona made this decision herself. And it's a smart one. This would allow her to get back on her feet and effectively keep her child no matter what circumstances befell her. Okay. So, you know, if her mom has her, she can be with her mom and no matter what, the baby's safe and she can see her and be there. Okay. So I I think this was a pretty good choice, actually. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, but there are also articles that claim, you know, it was the state's decision. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I choose to believe it was the, the family that did this themselves. So Thelma, the grandma, wasn't is a God-fearing woman. She's a little less so now because quite honestly, the worst thing that could possibly happen has already happened to her. Mm. And that will do that to you. Thelma is a Jehovah's Witness, a faith that we could do an entire episode on in and of itself, but that's not the point today. Let's just say that they are an incredibly strict sect of Christianity and do not accept the LGBTQ plus community as a matter of principle. They think it's wrong and against God. So they're those kind of Christians. Mm -hmm. This seemed like it would be a ginormous problem, but it actually turned out not to be as bad as you might think. Sakia and Latana both ended up moving in with Thelma. Latana, who absolutely did get back on her feet, would go on to have three more children, the youngest of which was born just three months before Sakia's tragic murder. Mm -hmm. Sakia and her family lived in Newark, not Newark, that is Delaware, we are Newark, which is in the northern part of New Jersey, close to New York City. And you know why we pronounce it Newark instead of Newark? Because it's spelled Newark. Because a lot of people who immigrated to the area um, when it was first, when it was like a big deal to do so, called it New Work. Because oh. they were going to find new opportunities and new work. Oh, So it sounds okay. more like Newark instead of New Ark. I mean, I like saying it that way better anyway. Mm-hmm, same. But I thought that was interesting that it was just like a colloquialism that just got soaked into the name. Uh, I just thought it was like the accent. Me too. I thought it was all of our like gutter accents <laughs> yeah. that we just can't. Newark. <laughs> we can't say Newark. We're like, it's Newark. Yeah. New- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But you know what? There's a reason. So anyway, Newark is also known as Brick City, or it was at one point, or the Bricks, not because of its relationship with drugs, but because of all of the brick architecture. Mm -hmm. A lot of people now say it's because, you know, bricks of cocaine or what have you. That is not. No, I would have never thought that. that. is not. I didn't either. I was like, there must be a lot of bricks in Newark. Yeah. But like, people are like, oh, so many drugs. No, that's not why. That came later. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's very true because uh, Newark is not uh, not the safest safest place New Jersey has no. to offer. I don't think I would be like, hey, kids, let's go to Newark. <laughs> no, not... it's like a dread. <laughs> you don't even want to get off at that train stop. <laughs> no, you have to roll your windows up because of the smell when you're on the highway. Yeah, Newark is not <laughs> great. Let's just be honest here, folks. Though it is a home to a major airport, one of Rutgers University's major campuses, several museums, a large performing arts center, a symphony hall, and a major sports venue. If you go deeper past the shiny new downtown area and all the major office buildings that house billion-dollar businesses, it's still pretty depressed and a deeply impoverished place. So the the downtown is kind of like New York light, but then it just trickles down into this, like, impoverished neighborhood. Revitalization efforts did happen in the 90s and well into the early aughts. Honestly, I think they are still trying over there. It worked in Asbury Park, but like Newark is still trying. I know, they still, trying. still trying. Um, and they, they kind of worked. Mm-hmm. There are nice things in Newark, but they still couldn't change the fact that the culture had become deeply steeped in violence and drugs, which of course begets poverty and addiction. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. It reminds me of... The was it the like the nineties in New York City where like yes. you still went there, you did things, but like you didn't hang out. Like you went yep. and did like your specific thing and then went home. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very similar. 
And uh, uh, Newark was, I think, particularly vulnerable to the crack epidemic. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big deal there. But um, we can cover that more if I do a case that involves that. Anyway, growing up in Newark isn't very easy, especially if you are gay. While Newark doesn't have a lot of resources for its LGBTQ plus population or decently funded schools with extracurricular activities for that matter, especially in 2003 when Sakia was murdered, what it does have is a shit ton of churches. Oh, there's like a billion churches in Newark. (laughs) And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, churches don't, historically speaking, love gay people. What? I know. This is wild. They're not the most hospitable of locations, and neither do traditionally raised people who don't have access to a more diverse population or good education, Mm -hmm. which is uh, a lot of Newark. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of stuck in some places in these, like, hard-headed Christian values. Yeah, Yeah, John John and I were talking a lot about this, just like— And and it feels obvious, but it also is one of those hard conversations to have yeah. where you're just like, if this is the environment that you're growing up in, mm-hmm. it's hard. So if you don't live in a diverse community, when you go to a diverse community, mm-hmm. you're going to have a culture shock and you need yeah. to allow people to adjust and like educate them and feel and just kind of know because yeah. if they're growing up in a like either in this bubble or of bubble, certain information, it's confusing. It's I definitely mean, confusing. If you go... I, this was the first year I got to go to another country, really. Mm-hmm. And that was a culture shock. And yeah. I had, it took me a minute to adjust and feel sure. like, okay, here's, here's how people live. But you went in learning. Because I lived in true. a diverse community. That's very true. Most of my life. Which is why education is extremely mm-hmm. important. Yeah. And often these neighborhoods, which I'll get into in a second, they lose funding in their schools. Yeah. Which is why kids don't have wider knowledge that they can apply. Yeah, because they're not learning about history of of diverse cultures and other communities. They're only yeah. learning one thing, mm-hmm. which makes it very difficult to kind of overcome that one thing, as you were saying. Which is also why it's important if you live in a not super diverse community, mm-hmm. like we do, like we do now. We live in a pretty whitewashed mm-hmm. area. It's important that you introduce your children to yes. more diversity. They may not get it at school, but they need to get it at home. Yes. Show them television shows and movies with representation. Read them books with representation. Take them to events. Mm-hmm. Teach them. Teach them. Right. And then they will not fall victim to any of that because Just they will know around better. the city for a little while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are, there are tons of options. Like my kids watch lots of cartoons mm-hmm. that feature totally diverse populations, mm-hmm. that feature all kinds of people that have trans characters and and families that feature same-sex parents and that kind of thing. Like, the just yeah. put it put it out there. Because if it's normal, it's normal. Exactly. We, we're the ones who make it not normal. Yeah. It doesn't need to happen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so where does the Kia fit in here in this Christian, churchy, depressed neighborhood that's overrun with drugs and violence? Well, she never did take to the girly things in life. I think that's obvious. Sakia was always more comfortable in oversized boys' clothing than the girly stuff that her grandmother bought her. But she also did love her grandmother and was deeply grateful for her. So on certain occasions, she would put on the dress and go to church or Kingdom Hall, whatever the Jehovah's Witnesses go to. But what would happen is they would pull up to the church. She'd be in her dress. She'd run from the car into the building, 
go through the service with grandma, run back into the car afterwards, and then run inside her house. So as few humans as possible outside of the church had to see her in that dress. Mm -hmm. She didn't love it. And the second that she got home, she would get changed. Yeah. But she still did this as as a thing for her grandmother. And this is common with a lot of the other girls that she's friends with. They would occasionally do these things for the people in their lives. But Sakia knew she wasn't like the other girls at church early on. By the time she was 11, in an honest discussion with her mother, she stated that she didn't like boys. Fortunately, Sakia's mother wasn't really bothered by this declaration. She did say, you're 11. Why don't you give it a few minutes to settle before you decide in in hard print what you are? Even though, you know, when you know, you know. But Mm -hmm. still, she did just accept it. She's like, okay, that's who she is. She does admit to being afraid her baby might be facing discrimination in the future because that's what she saw in her neighborhood. But that didn't mean she wanted to change her. And it needs to be clear that Sakia was from a supportive household. That's great. Because a lot of her friends weren't and still aren't. Mm -hmm. Thelma, her grandma, was less than happy with this statement. She did keep trying to change Sakia into a pink-wearing, doll-toting little girl for some time, but it didn't work. And eventually she just fell into accepting things for how they were. She didn't like it, but she loved her granddaughter deeply. And so she tried to be as accepting as she could. Mm -hmm. And something I found especially poignant is a a quotation from her in an interview after Sakia's death, where she stated that she used to have trouble looking at the picture of her, her last school photo, where she's dressed more like a, a traditional boy. But now she doesn't have any problems with it. Now she can look at it. Yep. Now she can look at it and see her and remember her fondly. That's beautiful. Yeah, I thought that was really sweet. So by eighth grade, Sakia was actually dating girls. On her like um, tribute page after her obituary, there is actually a statement by a girl that said like, I dated her in eighth grade. I loved her. She was wonderful. And I was like, oh my God, great girlfriend. Mm. That's the sweetest. So Sakia had found her style and her people. I mean, that's all any of us can really hope for, honestly. Just because it lacked resources and understanding among older generations doesn't mean that Newark didn't have plenty of queer folks living in its borders. Sakia's neighborhood had a very visible population of aggressive lesbians, actually, and they were well-respected within the bubble of their community. So these were women who grew up observing tough men who did what they had to survive, but loved their families deeply and found joy where they could. And this is the behavior these girls went on to emulate. It was known that Sakia and her friends were to be treated just the same as any of the young men in her community. They weren't afraid to fight, and sometimes the respect was hard won, but it was there. Hmm. Latona was happy to see Sakia find her community. She was popular and outspoken, beloved by her friends, not too bad with the ladies, and an outstanding athlete. Newark schools may not have much, and by not much, I mean like not much. But Westside High, the school Sakia would go on to attend, absolutely dominated in basketball. Okay. They would go in with a team of girls, half of which didn't even have the appropriate sneakers, and just like crush like these fancy North Jersey high schools. I love it. (laughs) I know. It's like (laughs) a really good story. But Westside High is a pretty daunting place. It also sounds like the title, like, like it was invented for a musical. Westside High. I know. (laughs) But in this one, metal detectors and security guards are firmly planted at the front door. Guns are regularly confiscated. Violence is common. And the budget is non-existent. The school was ranked 313th in the state 
out of 316 public oh, schools. That's rough. Yeah, they, that, that, was, uh, that survey was taken in September of 2006 in, uh, for a New Jersey Monthly magazine. And um, 2006 was the earliest I could find that statistic. But since this takes place just a few years before that, I think it's pretty much the same. Yeah. And that's pretty grim. It is. It makes me so sad. It makes me sad, too. But Westside has twice received $50,000 donations from Ellen DeGeneres and once received a $500,000 donation from Oprah. Okay, Oprah. Yeah, it's a very publicly depressed community. But these things were a one-time drop in the bucket. They weren't continual aid provided to this school. And so they really couldn't make the lasting difference that the public would hope it was making. Property taxes in Newark are also high since it's a major city and very close to New York, but the school system doesn't see any of that money. Teachers and coaches often take heavily from their own pockets to outfit their classrooms and provide much-needed materials for their students. In fact, um, the basketball coach that came in, a new coach came in after Sakia's death, and she is quoted in an article in the Washington Post as um, frequently providing the girls with sneakers okay. to play basketball in yeah. or if they needed clothes or if they needed food. She had those things. She would bring them to them. The school provided six water bottles for the whole team. I don't know much about basketball, but it's more than six people on a team. Yeah. They so were she, probably, I wonder if they were like those Gatorade bottles where they like Probably like a free promotion, mouth. yeah. Yeah. Which is just like. It's just, just untenable. But if you don't, and if, but if you don't have a budget. Yep. That's the thing. That's all they could give them. And so, of course, the coach went out and got right. the rest of the kids water bottles. So they all were able to like dehydrated. Right. I don't know. Which is why it is very like those jobs, like coaching jobs yep. are just so wonderful. They are. When they can help and support. And listen, like I fully recognize that at this point in the world, most teachers do this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Most to all teachers pay for the things you see on the walls in their mm-hmm. classroom and the pencils their kids are writing with, which is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. They in no way should have to buy those things. No. They should be purchased by the state for the children's public education, but they're not anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's a problem. Yeah. My, um, I know my father-in-law, uh, he used to do that. He was a basketball coach and, um, there were several students that he would help out with, with things like that. It's really sweet. So Sakia's basketball coach, this is not the one I spoke of earlier because there's a change in coaches. Uh, was a woman named Shani Baraka. She was the daughter of one-time New Jersey poet laureate, Amiri Baraka. Amiri went on to say some pretty controversial stuff about 9-11, but outside of that, he is an outstanding poet, playwright, and civil rights activist. Shani loved the girls on her team, and she knew them all very personally. She was involved with them. Coming from a family of activists, she had great compassion and understanding for the world young Black girls were thrust into, and she wanted to help them get ahead in any way that they could. So we see Sakia has a support system in this rickety world, right? Like she's built up as much as she can be. But what did this world look like exactly? Well, the neighborhood she lived in was pretty burned out with a boarded up Pabst Brewery, prominently featured, and abandoned fields posing as landmarks. Trash litters the sidewalk and beat up cars line the street. Outside her home might be a mess, but inside was neat and orderly. Sakia has a closet full of tediously cared-for clothing and sneakers. She went to great lengths to care for her shoes, too. Her whole family has, like, really funny memories about this. She would clean them all the time with, like, 
painstakingly clean them with a toothbrush. And she would do separate loads of laundry just to wash her shoelaces. Mm -hmm. If her shoelaces got dirty, fucking forget it. She was not having this. Like I said, well appointed. Mm -hmm. She cleaned her shoes so often with a solution of vinegar and water and a toothbrush that her family remembers coming home to the house like stinking of vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually they were like, you have to scale back on this. It smells awful. (laughs) Sakia was fun and talented and excellent at braiding hair. She would often have a line of her friends in her bedroom waiting to have their hair washed and braided. Mm. And this was how she actually made extra money. I was going to say, I wonder if this was like yeah, a so career she was, that she kind of went into. Yeah, she was, <laughs> she was hustling. Her mom said that she would often come home and if they were like going out on a Friday night or something, she would have like a line of, of people in her bedroom waiting to have their hair done. Nice. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, and friends called her T or Kia. When she walked down the street, local men would nod in recognition as she walks by in her baggy pants, riding so low her boxers stuck out in her crisp white cap. So like that nod of recognition, I, I don't mean like, yes, you are here. I mean, like when you see men nod at each other, they're like, what up, bro? Or whatever right, they say. Yeah. I'm clearly very white and not cool. But those kind of greetings existed very informally and almost as a reflex with her. Yeah. And to me, that's just kind of is indicative of her place in the Mm -hmm. society. Like, it wasn't, like, weird or anything. They were just like, yeah, absolutely. For the most part, the aggressive community went about their lives the way they wanted. But this wasn't always possible. There were definitely still a large population of men who recognized them as women, which they were, but they were more focused on their anatomy than anything else. And they desperately wanted to exploit this they would project these women as attempting to like fool people, which they absolutely were not. They were not trying to fool anybody. They were who they were fully. These men saw their masculine exterior and female anatomy underneath. And for one reason or another, it infuriated them. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the population of aggressives were also prone to assault, both physical and sexual, because after all, rape is rage. Yeah. So sometimes that's how it came out. And this was an undeniable part of their life and a constant risk hanging over their heads. They didn't live without fear. It was there. They just had the other side too. It wasn't the only part of their life, which is what I was hoping to make clear in these statements. But there wasn't an abundance of things to do for Sakia and her friends once they weren't on the quarter in the classroom. And we spoke about this at length in the Tyler Hadley episode. When teens get bored, trouble happens. Right. These ones were not looking for trouble, but other teens definitely were. Gay teens looking for something to do on a Friday night are not going to put themselves out into that trouble because, again, that's a risk. So they were limited to a rundown dance hall called the African Globe. Now, it may not have been much, but they turned up in droves, dressed to impress, and looking for a safe haven. Often, though, this wasn't enough, and the teens would hop on the path for a $1.50 and make their way into New York City, where they would spend their evenings on the Christopher Street Pier in Greenwich Village. Over the years, the Christopher Street Pier has become a haven for gay teens. Latona commented that it was a place Sakia could go where nobody would bat an eye at her. Men would walk down the street holding hands and not attract a second of attention. Now, in this day and age, I sincerely hope that nobody is clutching their pearls when they see two male-presenting individuals holding hands in public. But this was 20 years ago. And the woman who said this was raised by a Jehovah's Witness. Mm -hmm. So let's let her marvel at this without judgment. And Latona actually went to the pier after Sakia's murder to kind of see 
what the environment was that she wanted to be in. And she was so just like touched by how accepting it was. Okay. So Greenwich Village and Christopher Street in particular have long been very important to the LGBTQ plus community and culture. It is after all where pride began. As I mentioned earlier, though, pride is first and foremost a protest, and Christopher Street earned its parade through violence, bloodshed, and horrible loss. There are a lot of struggles that horrible descriptor could apply to, violence, bloodshed, and horrible loss. Mm -hmm. And it could be the title of our freaking podcast. Uh, Not the least of which was the AIDS epidemic of the early 90s. But right now we're talking about the Stonewall riots. And now we're going to go into a brief wiki roundup. Okay. So first, a little bit about Greenwich Village. It was historically known as an important landmark on the map of American bohemian culture. Little la vie bohème for you all. In the early and mid 20th century, the neighborhood was known for its colorful artistic residents and the alternative culture they propagated. Due in part to the progressive attitude of its many residents, the village was a focal point of new movements and ideas, whether political, artistic, or cultural. This tradition as an enclave of avant-garde and alternative culture was established during the 19th century and continued in the 20th century when small presses, art galleries, and experimental theater thrived. In 1969, enraged members of the gay community in search for equality started the Stonewall Riots. So the Stonewall Riots were a series of spontaneous protests by the members of the gay community in response to a police raid that began in the early morning hours of June 28, 1969 at the Stonewall Inn in the Greenwich Village neighborhood of Lower Manhattan. The Manhattan neighborhoods of Greenwich Village and Harlem were home to a sizable gay and lesbian population, which kind of accumulated after World War I. This goes back far. And this is back when people who had served in the military took advantage of the opportunity to settle in larger cities. The enclaves of gay men and lesbians described by a newspaper story as, quote, short-haired women and long-haired men. That's putting it bluntly. Developed a distinct subculture through the following two decades. Prohibition, this is very interesting to me, inadvertently benefited gay establishments as drinking alcohol was pushed underground with other behaviors considered immoral. New York City passed laws against homosexuality in public and private businesses, which um, is what our world is trying to do now as well. This was in the 20s. But because alcohol was in high demand, speakeasies and impromptu drinking establishments were so numerous and temporary that the cops weren't able to police them all. Right. However, police raids did continue. Back to 1969, patrons of the Stonewall and other village lesbians and gay bars and neighborhood street people fought back when the police became violent. So they raided the Stonewall at this point. The riots were widely considered the watershed event that transformed the gay liberation movement and the 20th century fight for LGBT rights in the United States. As it was common for American gay bars at the time, the Stonewall Inn was owned by the mafia which is interesting. Uh, The Genovese family actually owned the Stonewall. While police raids on gay bars were still routine in the 1960s, officers quickly lost control of the situation at the Stonewall Inn on June 28, 1969. Tensions between New York City police and gay residents of Greenwich Village erupted into more protests in the next evening and again several nights later. Within weeks, village residents organized into activist groups demanding the right to live openly regarding their sexual orientation and without fear of being arrested. The new activist organizations concentrated on confrontational tactics, and within months, three newspapers were established to promote rights for gay men and lesbians. 
A year after the uprising to mark the anniversary on June 28, 1970, the first gay pride marches took place in Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and San Francisco. Within a few years, gay rights organizations were founded across the United States and the world. Today, LGBT, which they stop it there with this because it's a quotation, pride events are held annually worldwide in June in honor of the Stonewall riots. Christopher Street also holds the last remnants of outspoken activist and drag queen Marsha P. Johnson, who was often linked to the Stonewall riots, but in reality was not there. But her mysterious death is also considered by many to have been a hate crime. Marsha's body was found floating in the Hudson River in 1992. Initially and quickly, her death was ruled a suicide by the NYPD, but controversy and protest followed, eventually leading to reopening the case as a possible homicide. Marsha was cremated soon after her body was discovered, and her ashes were spread on the pier at Christopher Street, which is the same length of concrete Sakia walked on the night she was murdered. Hmm. Yeah. So there's your background in Stonewall, you guys. There's way more, like way, 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 way more. And we'll get into it at another time, but that at least gives you a little bit more. So let's get to that night. Sakia had gone into the city with two friends to spend time at the pier. Their names are in lots of articles, but I don't feel like it's super necessary because they are still going through hell about this. Right. How old is she at this point? She's 15. Okay. Oh, gosh. I know. Some people are like, what the hell is this child doing in New York City late at night? Well, she's with people where she was actually safe in New York. Right. She was fine when she was there. At what time is it? Sorry. So, well, okay. I'll get to that in okay, a second. Sorry. So they go into the city in the evening. Okay. But with the intentions of like being out late. And her mom was like, this is not her first time. She knows that mm-hmm. Sakia is going to be home late. And usually she hears the door open, her rummaging in the kitchen and saying like, I'm home, mom. So they kind of have an understanding. Um, when Sakia was leaving, her mother begged her to take mace with her. She was always like, please protect yourself. Take pepper spray or something. But Sakia wouldn't do it. Said she didn't need it. The girls then took the train into the city where they hung around in front of the bars and on the waterfront with other teens until around 2 a.m at which time they would have normally taken the PATH train back home. But for one reason or the next, Sakia wanted to take the bus that night. It is unclear to literally everybody why. There is no reason. She just wanted to take the bus, I guess. Hmm. Okay. But she insisted on doing it, and so her friends were like, okay, I guess we're taking the bus. Hmm. Fellow passengers on that first bus ride, because you had to change buses to get back to, like, the stop by her house. The fellow passengers on that bus remember Sakia engaging in conversations with them, being very social and funny and laughing with her friends. The trio then had to change buses, so they got out at the corner of Broad and Market Street in Newark and waited under the bus enclosure for the number one New Jersey Transit bus. At this point, it is approximately 3 a.m. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's like a 25-minute ride, and she had to wait for the bus and stuff, so that Mm -hmm. all tracks. As the trio stood at the bus stop, a car pulled up with two men inside. They stopped and got out and asked Sakia and her friends if they, quote, wanted to have a good time. The girls said no. And when the men pressed further, they said, we're, you know, listen, we're lesbians. We're not going to go with you. We're not interested in any men, not just you. We're not interested in men at all. At this pronouncement, the men then jumped on the women. Yep. One of them began strangling Sakia's friend, and Sakia jumped into action, so she started to fight back. She pulled the man off her friend and squared up to get into a fight with him, obviously. But the man turned on her and brandished a knife, quickly stabbing her in the chest. My God. Sakia had enough energy to run behind her friends while she was still in shock and pull off her white shirt, 
under which she was just wearing what people commonly refer to as a wife beater. That's like a terrible title, but that's what it is. And now you know what it looks like. And her undershirt was soaked in bright red blood. The men knew they were in trouble after that. Yeah. And ran. So after the stabbing happened, they just got in the car and fled, leaving these girls all alone in the streetlight. Fortunately, they were able to flag down a passing car who took them to a local hospital. So that is a good-ass mm-hmm. Samaritan. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Okay, just so I can uh, yeah, picture sure. this again. Um, so how old are they all 15? 15 to 17. Seven, okay, so they're still all They're all minors, young yeah. Looking. Yeah. Okay. And they, it is important to point out, and I will go more into this later, that they looked like boys to the outward observer. It does not look like women. Mm-hmm. So approaching them and asking them if they want to have a good time might have just been an invitation to get them to fight. Maybe, or those guys were also looking for young boys to have a good time with. We'll we'll get a little more into that in a minute, but it's just something at 3 a.m. like nobody's looking to bank in your brain. Yeah. So once they arrived at the hospital, Sakia's mother was called. Hospital staff did everything they could to bring her back. However, unfortunately, during the car ride, while cradled in her friend's arms, Sakia bled out and died. Yeah, it was too late once they got there, but the hospital did try. Nobody wants to get the call that their child is in the hospital. That's all of our nightmare. But it is especially awful on the day before Mother's Day. Oof. And um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but the date was May 11th, 2003. Okay. So, day before Mother's Day. Probably technically Mother's Day at that point. I'm not 100% sure. But, uh, oh no, no, it was Saturday. Mother's Day is always a Sunday. So, Mm -hmm. okay. So on the phone, Latona was just told to come to the hospital. She just said, you know, we have your daughter. You have to come to the hospital. And that she should come quickly. And she thought that Sakia had been in a fight and was getting stitches. She was like, oh, gotten her first dust up. She got in a little trouble. She's going to learn a lesson, hopefully. Maybe next time she'll bring the damn mace. Oh, man. So she was just kind of like, you know, oh. thinking that's what was happened. Her biggest fear in that moment was that Sakia would have been arrested and have to spend the night in jail. Of course. And no one could have guessed it was far worse than that. Latona and Thelma went straight to the hospital where staff met them, sat them down, and gently informed them that Sakia was dead. Oh. Thelma, grandma, had a heart attack right on the spot. <gasps> yep. Immediately. As soon as she got the news, she had a heart attack and had to be admitted to that same hospital herself. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was, like, never the same after. No. Word immediately got out that Sakia had been murdered, and Newark teens flocked to the bloodstained spot on the pavement where the horrible event had occurred, creating a makeshift monument and standing vigil. Her friend, who had held her in her arms as she died in the stranger's car, went home, took off her blood-soaked clothing, and hung it up in the closet where it stayed as a personal mausoleum. She just, like, kept that there. Because mm. that was, like, part of her friend was on that. Right. Huh. Justice would be sought after, and the community mourned in a way that was so intense the air seemed to be thick with grief. Over 2,000 students walked out of their high schools to attend Sakia's funeral. The Black LGBTQ plus community of Newark had had enough. Sakia was murdered right out in the open, so there wasn't much hope that her attackers would escape, right? And this is 2003, so there are, like, cameras and people and stuff. Okay. But 
we wouldn't really have to use any of that because four days later, a man named Richard McCullough turned himself in for committing the crime. Ooh, okay. Twist. Yeah, I, I just, I think it was just obvious. I think mm-hmm. people knew. Okay. And he was like, I, I have no way out of this. And, yeah. yeah. He was then arrested in connection with the crime on May 16th, 2003. And, uh, oh man, Richard's defense was laughable. They show a lot of his defense attorney speaking in, uh, in a documentary about Sakia. And he claims, oh my God, I don't even like talking about it. He leans heavy into, um, Richard was a really nice guy with no prior offenses. So he shouldn't let this one event ruin his life. And also, he did pull out a knife, but Sakia ran into it. He didn't stab her. She ran into my knife 10 times. Like, come on, man. Right. That was his defense. She ran into my knife. But I pulled why, a knife. Yeah, why, were, why was he pulling out a knife with a 15-year-old anyway? Yeah. This, this guy is up. 29, first of all. Fucked He's a full-ass man. Absolutely not. No. I'm and sorry. got himself, started a fight with a group of teenagers. Right. And had a knife. I'm sorry. If those girls pulled a bunch of weapons out, like, okay. Yeah. People are defending themselves. Right. But like. They didn't have any. They, they didn't have anything. They, it all could have just been fisting. Sakia wouldn't even. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it was all fisting. <laughs> no, that was. Maybe we cut that. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> they were. Sorry. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, they, I mean, that's why I made a point of mentioning the fact that Sakia wouldn't even bring mace. Mm -hmm. They didn't have anything on them. Right. They were young enough and foolish enough to be like, we're tough that we can just fight. We don't need anything. Yeah. I just, it's just wild to me that there was any defense. And it should be mentioned that um, the reason I say that this is not a crime of racism is because Richard is also black. Okay. So this isn't like a white guy out to shoot Black girls, which does happen and is equally awful. This is a, a black man committing this crime, which which to me indicates strongly that it's just because they're lesbians, right? Right, yeah, because, yeah, I wonder, had they not even said, I just, yeah, I This just is why wonder... I think he knew when he wanted to fight. Okay, yeah. So anyway, a lot of people do too. Okay. But like all of these weird defenses, including the fact that he was raised by his lesbian grandmother, apparently, yeah. She was ashamed. Yeah, that, this shit just doesn't matter, though. He can be as nice as he wants to be when he goes to a party on Sunday, but he killed someone. End of story. Richard was charged with second-degree murder, aggravated assault, and bias intimidation, which is an important one. In a plea bargain, the murder charges were dropped. Hmm. And on March 3rd, 2005, Richard McCullough pleaded guilty to aggravated manslaughter, aggravated assault, and bias intimidation. On April 21st, 2005, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison, which most people agree is not really enough. And we all know that most people do not go on to serve full sentences. Mm -hmm. They are released after a fraction of their time. While the murder charge being dropped is a pretty poor decision, in my opinion, please yell or not, the bias intimidation charge is telling. It confirms that Richard killed Sakia because she was a lesbian and his biases ignited unjustified rage. So he was intimidated by what she was and that's why he went after her. The real kicker here is that to the naked eye, as I said earlier, Sakia didn't even look like a girl. So many people do believe that Richard approached her and her friends looking for a fight. Not a good time. He saw them and recognized them kind of as what they were and was like, well, I'm going to beat up these fucking lesbians. 
And this is not a gay panic case. By all accounts, he was not actually attracted to Sakia and then like lost his mind when he found out she was gay or not a boy. This is a straightforward hate crime. And that's how it was tried mm. and presented. What about the other people involved? One other guy, and he never got charged. They have his name and everything. Why? Because uh, Richard is the one that did the stabbing. Yeah, but wasn't did the other guy get out of the car and do any? Um, he was like there. I think he was there and maybe involved in some of the like fisticuffs, but he didn't do the actual strangling and then murder. So when Richard confessed, they were like, "Well, that's who committed the crime." They didn't go after the other guy. That's bullshit. The other guy I, should at least have community service. Uh, the other guy <laughs> should, should absolutely be paying some sort of debt to his community, but he's not. Yeah. Cleaning Zakia's mural and shit. And yeah, definitely. <laughs> so another sad epitaph on this is that after Latona returned home uh, on the morning that Zakia died, Shani Baraka, Zakia's basketball coach, rushed to her side and stayed with her f- for days and just sat with her. Mm-hmm. Sadly, three months after Sakia was killed, Shani was shot to death in her sister's home by her sister's former lover. That's why they had a new basketball coach. Oh, my. So the girls on that team lost their friend and teammate and then their coach who took care of them. Their support system. In rapid succession. Wow. And a lot of these kids um, didn't really come back from it. No. A lot they of lost them. lost too much. Well, they were severe severely traumatized. Um, One of her brothers admits to like fighting more than he should Mm -hmm. because he doesn't know how to deal with the emotions that this horrible crime caused. Some of her friends um, in the Washington Post article, that one profiles her friends. So it's a a great read and I'll I'll link it. Um, They talk about how just for a while they felt completely dead inside. They didn't know how to cope with this. And in a community where you are kind of supported, but also not. Mm-hmm. It's hard to know what to do or how to cope or where to turn. Right. So Sakia's death was also the subject, as I just hinted to, of a two-day series in the Washington Post in October of 2004 by a journalist named Anne Hull, who spent months reporting on the lives of young lesbians in Newark in the aftermath of the hate crime that killed their friend. The series was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in feature writing in 2005, And I will link these articles in the show notes as they were a major source for this episode and should be considered mandatory reading. There were other things that happened in the wake of Sakia's death as well. Gay teens marched. Students sat vigil. The Newark LGBTQ plus community was up and about. Sakia's death sparked outrage from the city's gay and lesbian community. The community, in conjunction with GLAAD, rallied the mayor's office requesting, among other things, the establishment of a gay and lesbian community center. The police officers needed to patrol Newark Penn Station and the Broad Street Corridor 24 hours a day. They wanted the creation of an LGBTQ plus advisory council um, to the mayor. And they wanted the school board to be held accountable for the lack of concern and compassion when dealing with students at Westside High, which was where Sakia went to school immediately following the murder. Because, um, while students were supportive of Sakia and her friends and deeply disturbed by this, the principal um, did not want to talk about it. Yeah. He did not want to honor the moment of silence that was requested. He did not want to honor um, the, uh, it was like a day of no name calling that was to be declared by 
the city. He didn't want any of it. Sometimes, okay, because uh, I was actually speaking with someone else about this, like okay. another school system mm-hmm. where the principal didn't do much and they were only there for a year. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think that that happens as well because it, and he very well could or she could have very well had like a bias of their own. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I also think it's because they don't know how to deal with it. Sure. Because in school systems like this where there isn't a lot of budget, there isn't a lot of help. Yeah. They they don't get well-qualified people for these jobs because it's not a safe environment for people to go to. Yeah. And that's that's unfortunate that because unfortunate. a lot of teachers a lot of administration would love to go to schools like this to really help turn things around and be there to support it, mm-hmm. but they're not supported yeah. to be there. And so My in moments like this, budgets. it just sucks. Yeah. The the moment of um, contention was that he was presented with options. Like, okay, we want to do this moment of silence, which eventually which ended up happening so simple. without the, his support. That's the simplest thing right. you can do. That's that's where the outrage comes from, is that yeah. things were presented to the school and he didn't want to be involved yeah. in that. And his his defense was, I feel these kids are so traumatized, I don't want to bring it up. Yeah. But like they are asking for you to bring it up. Yeah. And they clearly need counseling. Mm-hmm. So and they did have a counselor who like was very active and 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 does spend a lot of time with Sakia's close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you can read more about her in the Washington Post article. So Moving forward, the Newark Pride Alliance, an LGBTQ plus advocacy group, was founded in the wake of Sakia's murder. So things did happen. But uh, where was the press on this one? Right. Because I didn't see it. And you didn't see it. Mm -mm. So, um, quote, using the LexisNexis database, Kim Pearson, a professor at the College of New Jersey, compared the media coverage of Sakia Gunn's death to the 1998 murder of Matthew Shepard. 659 stories were found in major newspapers about Matthew Shepard's murder compared to 21 articles about Sakia Gunn's murder in the subsequent seven months. Oh, wow. Yep. Pearson noted that not only were Shepard's attackers tried and convicted during this period of time, but that it took nearly that long for Sakia's attacker to just be indicted. Hmm. So urgency was given more, way more to Matthew Shepard's case, a young white boy than it was to Sakia's, a young black lesbian. So. Yeah, that's wild. And I have often read of Sakia as a, this direct quote, Newark's Matthew Shepard, which is a title that is gross and untrue. Yeah. Why would you ever, ever do that? That's disgusting. It is not the same. She was her own person. There were different reasons. But if that's what they want to call her, why wasn't her death bigger news? Well, that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. Like, were they trying to call her that so that she got attention? I which don't is know. gross anyway that they I felt just that don't way, like it. But it clearly didn't work, so stop it. Yeah. And Matthew Shepard's murder was gay panic. Yeah. I've had so many people ask me to cover Matthew Shepard's murder. We'll see if it's coming. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I am going to do this Pride Month, the landmark case. I did Mm -hmm. decide to do one landmark case. Maybe it'll be that. Maybe it won't. You guys will have to see, wait and see. But, um, it's, it's just so different. I know that one's very different. It's so, so very different. So I hate that they just put them in the same group because they were young and murdered. 
Anyway, in 2000... This does, mm-hmm. sound, this does sound like... It sounds more initially like a fight gone bad. Right. But, and also it's infuriating because it's such an older person yeah. with a very young people. Yeah, with a child. Like, 15 is a child. Was, like, you murdered killed, a child. He killed a child. Yep. Yeah. This should not be white, like just like washed over as like, yeah. oh, a fight happened. That is not it. A grown ass man approached and killed a child. Right. And I want to know, and I want to know too, like, was he inebriated at this time or was he just 3 a.m. and was just like looking for a fight? Uh, I'm you know, not 100% like, sure. that's to be what honest I with know. you guys this week, I did not research um, Richard very much. I didn't. Okay. I didn't really think he deserved any of it because all of the information from the perspective of his defense is all about what a nice guy he is. And I have no desire to read or present any of that because at the end of the day, as we just said, he murdered a child Mm -hmm. and then he ran away. Yeah. If she ran into your knife and it wasn't on purpose, why didn't you stick around? Yeah. Get her to the hospital. Get her to the fucking hospital if it was such a big accident. Right. No, you ran away after stabbing a child. Yeah. And let me tell you something like, she looked like a child. Right. I wouldn't have looked at this person and said, there's an adult man. Mm-mm. That's not a thing. In 2016, Tatiana Fazla-Lizada painted a mural entitled Sakia, 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 Sakia on a wall along the McCarter Highway in downtown Newark. The mural is Sakia's smiling portrait repeated six times over a red wall adorned with vines. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It is really beautiful. I, we will put a picture of it in the photo suite. In 2008, a documentary about Sakia's short life entitled Dreams Deferred, the Sakia Gun Film Project, debuted. It is still available to watch on Vimeo, and uh, this was also one of my main sources. I highly recommend this to everybody who is interested in this case or in its aftermath. And the title for this documentary is Why I Read the Poem in the Opening. Yeah. So that yeah. is basically where this ends. I also just want to say, okay, so I just looked up a picture of Sakia and mm-hmm. it's the one with her dress more masculine. Yeah. So that's a more recent photo, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's so frustrating is because sometimes when you hear, say, like a, like an older man talking to like a woman or mm-hmm. a girl and they're just like, I thought she was older. I thought she was like 18 or yeah, over yeah. or something like that, the way she was dressed. This is the most baby face I have ever seen. Right. Like he looks, I have a 15 year old. This looks like an eighth grader in this photo. It's like if you drove by, you would think that she was a 15 year old boy. Right. Absolutely. You would, you would have been like, this is a, this is a Unless you knew better and you were like, I know what they are. I'm going to go start fucking trouble. Yeah. But even, I mean, like. Yeah, she she looks like a boy in is in this photo. I don't know how she was dressed that I I believe her like even like presenting, like she would have still had a child. She had feminine presenting friends with her. Yeah. So there were girls there. So it just was like a girl. Well, I mean, they're all girls. There were like girly girls presenting there. But like Sakia specifically, no. Yeah, I mean, this guy Richard was And they all look like his friend were just looking for trouble. Yep. And they were gross. And I think they were looking for grosser things. Possibly, yeah. I mean, it's if they hadn't, I shudder to say this, but if it hadn't like gotten out of control and a stabbing occurred, mm-hmm. those girls were probably would have been raped. Yeah. That was probably the outcome they were looking for. For sure. 
They were looking for something. Yep. They were trying to see. I, I bet you they had drugs on them too. Possible. Like I'm just thinking like they were looking for a party. Ran, like, hey, yeah. you're out at 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. You must be like wanting to do stuff. Let's see what we can get. Or you must be like alone and vulnerable to violence and sexual Right, right. Probably also trying to see if they were like sex workers, like child sex workers is my guess. Which is so gross. All of it is terrible. Like there's no way his intentions were in any way honorable. No. No matter how you slice it, this guy was doing something shitty. Yeah. And then he killed a very obvious child. Yeah. And it should be added that Sakia was not a big human. Mm -hmm. No. And Richard is big. Yeah. He's like over six foot, 200 some odd pounds. Clearly, easily, quickly dominated this fight. No need to pull out. The knife was 100% unnecessary. 100%. Why'd you pull it out? And then she ran into it and you ran away. (sighs) Yeah. So Richard's in jail. Not for long enough, but in jail. And um, that is where the story ends. Okay. Though I do encourage further reading on this one. Yeah. From voices other than my own. Okay. It's just a... A story that sparked a lot of motion in the community, mm-hmm. but didn't receive attention from the public. Right. Which is why it's unlike a lot of things we've covered. Do we know if they got a lot of their, like, demands met? Some. Like, more security Yeah, they got the community center. And... Only some. Like, it's very few. They got the community center. There may have been more monitoring. I mean, I'm sure at this point there's a lot more monitoring of yeah. the train station in Newark. Um, that's what, bus yeah. station, sorry. It's a bus yeah. stop. So it's just like yeah. an outside. So that's what I would hope for because, it again, it sounds like it needed monitoring for everybody in the community. Yeah. You know, like it just wasn't safe right. for yeah. anybody. Yeah. So they, they did enact some change, not as much as they would like, but some. And like there is more of a place for the LGBTQ plus community in Newark Good. now. Yeah. They're more outspoken. They have more resources. There are more centers, you know, just that just house community activities, support and anything they need. Okay. Um, so that was huge. But also like, why weren't we talking about that? Yeah. This horrible murder inside a change and nobody talks about it. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like, come on, New Jersey, where the fuck is our news? I know. I, I'd be interested to know how many murders like had happened around then because maybe they probably felt like, an unbelievable amount to right, be honest which with should you. all be told they yeah. all get a right to be told because they are warnings too yeah but they, also they like be there for they help are and 100%. for change yeah you're 100 percent right they are warnings but this is when you lay it out and in its community a landmark case mm-hmm. it just hasn't been presented as a landmark in other places yeah. which is so strange. So here's my thing. Mm -hmm. I am happy that we are telling this story because, especially since Richard will not get that long in prison, then at least maybe his face can be out there and people can just like know his shame. Boo and hiss at him when they see him. Yeah, because he was 29 when he was arrested, 20 year sentence. He's going to, no matter how you slice it, he's coming out of jail alive, most likely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hope that the inmates um, understand he killed a child because mm-hmm. they don't love child killers in jail. And I, I do hope that he is sorry. Yeah, same. You know, I know that he did come forward. Yeah, and I hope that that was literally out of full on guilt and not not just. Yeah, that's one of those like, things that I I'm going to get yeah. caught anyway, and this is like the best way for best me. Best case scenario. Yeah. 
to get a lesser sentence. But I do. I mean, that's the thing. That's what I hope for prisons that they that they are actually reforming. Yes, yes, yes because I also don't want I don't want taxpayers' money to have to be wasted on somebody like this if they're not. No, I you know I, I agree mean? with you. I mean, we've talked about this before. Yeah. I I think that like our prison system is garbage. And mm-hmm. We really need to change it. But I do think with some people, rehabilitation is a hundred percent possible. Yes, but they need those resources. Yes, sitting in a cell without anything or talking to anyone or mm-hmm. receiving any education or doing any kind of meaningful work to counteract what they've done yeah. is not rehabilitation. Right. It's just time out. Right. We need to do better. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. thanks to Ariel for recommending that case yes, to us. thank you. That was a, a very eye-opening read. And uh, toast. Toast. Yeah. To Sakia. Yes, to Sakia. And, uh, oh my God, her basketball coach. Yes. And her friends and community, you know, and everyone that like stood up mm-hmm. after something horrible happened to her. It would have been very easy to just lay down in that grief. Absolutely. Incredibly easy. But they didn't do that. Yeah. They took it and repurposed it and stood up and took action, which yeah. is an unbelievably strong and courageous feat. Mm-hmm. So I'm so sorry the news didn't give this more coverage. I'm so sorry. But an um, unbelievable events occurred afterwards. So cheers to all of them. And cheers to her family that accepted her. Yeah. And if we had an appearance that in and of itself incited unnecessary violence, we, we would, would be, be dead. dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Four plays where it's at. You know? <laughs> <laughs>